Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Well, I hope you've had a good start to the year and you had an enjoyable Christmas season. I haven't seen you since Christmas, so I hope you had an enjoyable Christmas time and the year has started really, really well for you. Tonight we're beginning a two-part series on the topic of decisions. How do we know God's will for our life? And so I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you. And so how about we pray before we jump into our message? God, it's so good to be together today. And we thank you that you are real, you're alive, you're active, and that you love each one of us. Thank you for the young adults. Bless them at the camp, as well as Pastor Rob and Christy, who are there with them. Uh, refresh them, particularly at the beginning of this new year. And as we talk about decisions, knowing your will for our life, I pray for everyone here tonight, everyone listening online, uh, some people that may be listening to this podcast a little later in the week, that you would speak to each one of us. And we would gain some clarity, some insight, some inspiration about the amazing purpose that you have for each one of us, that we could live our life to the full. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 Many, many years ago, uh, Nicole and I were on the leadership team working for my father, Kevin Connor. At that time, he was the senior minister of what was called Waverly Christian Fellowship. Uh, We'd been youth pastors for about five years, and I was involved in worship and music, starting to preach. Nicole was starting to preach and working in women's ministry, and so we were growing and developing as young leaders. Uh, We had a a guest speaker come through and speak at the church, and over lunch, he suggested Nicole and I, and to my dad and mum at the time, that it would be good for Nicole and I to maybe go away for a period of time and get away from my dad's shadow and kind of become our own people, our own persons, and then possibly come back, and who knows, maybe one day we'd take over the church. It was kind of an idea we'd never really thought of, and so it kind of took us a bit by surprise. But anyway, the minister left and uh, talked with Dad and Mum about it, and they were okay about it, but we'd never really thought about it and had no real desire to leave. So we kind of kind of just left it. Anyway, uh, about six months later, we had another guest speaker, and he said exactly the same thing over lunch. You know, it might be good for you guys to head off for a couple of years and go work at another church or another ministry, come out from your dad's shadow, kind of become your own person and grow and develop, and then come back to the church and possibly take the church one day. Well, we were kind of really thrown right now. This is two people saying the same thing. And so we talked about it. My dad, again, was fine if we felt to do that. We weren't really sure, but we started some conversations, actually with two churches outside Victoria. And uh, both of them were keen for us to come and be there for a few years. And so the conversation started to flow. But for Nicole and I, we had a lot of confusion. We were uncertain. We actually didn't know what to do. What, what is God's will? Should we go? Should we stay? If we go, should we go there? Should we go there. We had a lot of questions, and it was a difficult time in figuring out what was the right thing to do. You ever been in a situation like that? You ever wondered what God's will was for your life? I reckon it's probably one of the most common questions we have. God, what is your will for my life? Or you're at an intersection. Which way should I go? Or someone's given you some advice. What should we do? And so that's what we want to talk about in these two sessions together. Uh, 
thankfully, we're not alone when it comes to trying to figure out God's will. Even the great Apostle Paul, we're going to look at a, a text in Acts 16, if you've got a Bible, verses 6 to 10. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. Listen to this story. This is the Apostle Paul, Acts 16, 6 to 10. Paul and his companions went to Phrygia. Figure it was pretty cold there. Sorry, only kidding. Bad joke. Uh, they went to Phrygia and then on through the region of Galatia. Their plan was to turn west into a, the Asian province. Uh, but the Holy Spirit blocked that route. So they went to Mysia and they tried to go north to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. Two closed doors. Proceeding on through Mysia, they went down to the seaport Troas. That night, Paul had a dream. A Macedonian stood on the far shore and called across the sea, Come over to Macedonia and help us. The dream gave Paul his map. He went to work at once, getting things ready to cross over to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We now knew for sure that God had called us to preach the good news to the Europeans. Isn't that an interesting story? It's the great Apostle Paul. He's trying to go this way. He's trying to go this way. He's got an overall sense of God's call on his life to preach the good news of Jesus. But he's got some closed doors. He's got things that didn't work out. Again, we read that pretty quickly. But if you look at the map, I did that this afternoon. All those places, if you look at how far they went, we're talking 750 kilometers. How many know they didn't have cars in those days? So they either walked that or they went on horseback. Um, we're talking about many weeks, possibly many months, who knows, maybe over a year. And notice this process of decision-making, of planning, of uncertainty, of experimentation, of trying things, of closed doors, of waiting, of not sure, being not sure, all in discerning God's will. And this was the Apostle Paul. How many are feeling a lot better right now? You should be feeling a lot better. He's trying to figure out what the next step is. And there's this process, there's this time before clarity comes. But notice he keeps moving. He keeps moving and then the clarity comes. Uh, I believe God does have a will and a purpose for our life. Paul picks this up in another verse, Ephesians 5, 17 to 19. Uh, this is the, in the NIV, and we'll put that up on the screen. He says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Who wants to be wise? Most of us in the room want to be wise. He says there's two kinds of people, wise people and foolish people. Wise people know God's will. They seize opportunities. One translation says they redeem the time and they use their time wisely. In contrast, foolish people, they don't know what God's will is. They've got no idea what God's purpose is for their life. So they miss opportunities and therefore they waste their time. And so God does have a will. God has a purpose, a plan for each of our lives. He has thoughts. He has intentions for us. The good news is he's not hiding it from you. He's not hiding it 
from you. Let me quote a couple of other Bible verses. Colossians 1 verse 9, Paul says, I'm praying for you. Someone's cheering me on back there. That's an amen. Uh, He says, I'm praying, I'm asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? I'm praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. God God actually wants you to know his plans, his intentions for your life. Uh, Another scripture, John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. How many of you are going to follow someone? You need to be able to hear them. There's a sense of guidance. And so God has a will, has a plan, and he wants us to know that will and to pursue it and to live it out. Now, we'll get back to my story, and I'll tell you a bit what we eventually did at the end of this meeting. But uh, as I've thought about this area of decision-making in God's will and my own experiences through the years, I've noticed that there are some wrong approaches to this whole idea of God's will. Um, I've had to work through some myself. I've observed them in other people. I think there's many misconceptions about the will of God. In fact, hopefully tonight we're going to bust a few myths, maybe some things that you've heard, even taught in church, who knows, but some myths about God's will that can be very damaging if we're not careful. And so let me give you a couple of wrong approaches to the will of God. Number one is what I want to call a fatalistic approach. Some people have what I'd call a fatalistic approach to the will of God. This view says, what will be, will be. (laughs) If it happened, it must have been God's will. Have you ever heard this kind of statement? Even something bad happens, and it's like, well, it happened, so it must have been God's will. This view is called determinism. It kind of believes that God's already planned everything, and if it happens, it's going to happen anyway. And so it overemphasizes the sovereignty of God. God's in charge. God's in control. He's going to do whatever he wants. And it underemphasizes our own freedom, our own responsibility to make choices in our life. I think this approach, this fatalistic approach, first of all, it's unfair to God, because I think God gets blamed for a lot of things that weren't his will or that he didn't choose. I don't know what happens in insurance now, Chloe, but I know years ago, if there was like a really bad catastrophe, it was an act of God. Is that still in the insurance literature? Isn't it funny when something bad happens? Well, it's God. But how many know if something good happens? Oh, I had a lucky day. (laughs) Like God doesn't get credited for the good, but if something bad happens, it's an act of God. I think this fatalistic approach, it's unfair to God because it kind of blames him for everything that happens in the world. It's also unhealthy for us because this approach kind of makes us a puppet on a string. Uh, We're not in control. Someone else is pulling the strings. Uh, uh, God must have wanted it to happen. It kind of takes away the responsibility we have for our lives. And so we do want to trust that God's at work, that there's something called providence, but we have choices. We have something called freedom. We have the ability to respond. We can't control what people do to us or what happens in life, but we can choose our response. We have freedom. We have, therefore, responsibility. In fact, could I suggest to you that you are where you are today based on the decisions you made yesterday? 
And where you'll be tomorrow is going to be determined by the decisions you make today. And so this fatalistic approach, it's unfair to God, but it also is unhealthy for us because it actually undermines the impact we can have in actually shaping our future by making good choices, by making good decisions. And so don't have a fatalistic approach to the will of God. A second approach that I think is very unhelpful is something I'm going to call a negative approach to the will of God. Some people believe that God's will is going to make you miserable and depressed. Maybe not in this church, but in other places I've heard this. I know as a kid, I kind of thought, well, maybe if I follow God's will and really surrender to him, he'll make me marry someone I don't even like. Or maybe he'll send me off to the dark, deep jungles of some mosquito-infested place. Sometimes people think, if I really surrender to God, if I really lay it all on the line, then it's going to be hard and difficult. There'll be no joy. Uh, This is a real negative approach to the will of God. The truth is, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Where's that from? Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Paul says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, not the removal, the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good. Everyone say good. Everyone say pleasing. Everyone say perfect. God's will is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. In other words, it can't be improved upon. You know why? Because God's will is an expression of his love. God actually wants what's best for you. That doesn't mean that if you follow him, uh, you won't have challenges, you won't have issues to work through and some sacrifices to make. But overall, God's will is the best thing for your life. It's good, it's perfect, it's pleasing. So don't buy into a negative approach that thinks, if I follow God, he's going to make me do something that I won't enjoy. No, no, God wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to live life to the full. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> it's a great scripture. God's got some plans for you. He goes on to say, through the voice of Jeremiah, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How many think God's will is good? God's will is good. God's planning. He's thinking about your future. And it's about having a hope. It's about uh, something that's going to be good for your life. And so don't buy into the lie that uh, embraces a negative approach to the will of God. Here's another approach that I think is very damaging. I'm going to call this a frustrating approach. A frustrating approach to the will of God. Some people become frustrated believing God's will is complicated, confusing, or a hidden secret. Their phrase is, God has a wonderful plan for my life, but he's not telling me. God has a wonderful plan for my life, but he's hiding it from me. Part of the frustration is a belief that God has some super detailed plan for every aspect of our life that we have to try to discover. We have to think about the next step we're about to take every moment of the day and make sure we take the right step so as not to displease God. The truth is God is a very empowering God. He's a very empowering God. Um, I I want you to think about God's first humans, uh, Adam and Eve. 
Genesis 1-2, God puts Adam and Eve in this garden. And it's, it's an amazing story, but I want you to think about this story in light of God's will for them. In the garden, he gave them a purpose. They were to uh, take dominion over the world. They were to rule together. They were to reproduce and fill the earth with a human family. Uh, but God gave them one commandment. Uh, in the garden, there were all these trees. And God says, see this tree. Uh, don't eat of this tree. But all the other trees, you are free. Everyone say free. Free to eat of. This is Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's dinner time at Mr. Adam and Eve's house. What is God's will for dinner? Imagine food. That's good. That's a good answer. Imagine Adam and Eve walking through the trees going, oh, I wonder if God wants us to have oranges today. Is it the apple tonight? Is it the pomegranate? What's God's will for dinner? I'm not. One no, dozens of yeses. Now think about this. One no, one restriction, one limitation, don't do this. But of the rest of the trees, you are free to eat. Can you see the empowering heart of God? Is there some detailed dinner plan for this week? On Monday, you're going to eat this. On Tuesday, you're going to eat this. No, no, no. Of all of the trees, you are free to eat. And I believe God treats you and I in the same way. He has a general purpose for our lives. He gives us some limitations. There's some knots. How many have heard of the Ten Commandments? Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. There's millions of good things you can do, but there's some don'ts. There's some limitations. There's some knots that God gives us. But you know what? We are free outside of those to choose what we want to do with our life. There's a lot more freedom in God's will than most people realize. And more often than not, there are many options we could choose from. Listen carefully. All of which are part of God's will for our life. See, God's will is more of a relationship than a set of rules. It's more of a compass than a detailed map. God gives us freedom. It's more dynamic than this closed system. Without knowing this, multiple options can produce fear or frustration of missing the dot or being in the center of God's will. Anyone heard that phrase, the center of God's will? You ever heard that? It's not in the Bible. See, the very phrase, the center of God's will, implies there's a circle, and right in the middle there's a dot, and you've got to find the dot. And if you don't get in the center, you're out of God's will. Are you with me? It's actually a very disempowering mindset because we can think that if there's a whole circle and there's a center, there's a dot in the middle, then I don't want to miss the dot. I've got to find the center. I've got to find out which tree. No, 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 no. No, this is actually a very disempowering mindset that can cause delays and uncertainty. 
I was thinking as I was praying for this meeting tonight, uh, many years ago we had an American preacher, well-known preacher and author, I won't mention his name, um, but he came and preached at our church and he gave a message on God's will and the big idea was God has this detailed plan for your life and you need to follow it. And he actually said this, he said, if you get to the end of your life and you decided to be a preacher but God wanted you to be a plumber, your entire life has been wasted and you won't receive your reward. He said that. We had seniors in our church in tears wondering whether they'd wasted their life. I was so ticked. It's the only preacher I've got up the next weekend and preached a message to correct the message that we just had. I did email him and talk to him about it, but he didn't like my feedback. So he didn't visit our church again. I was so angry because it distorted the image of God. Uh, our second son, Ashley, just turned 28. Um, he's been married for seven years to a beautiful Filipino girl named Melissa. They live in Brunswick, got a two-bedroom apartment. They have a, uh, a, a, a bulldog named Frankie. It's our grand dog. And, uh, and Melissa works in Penguin Publishing, and Ashley's at Westpac in banking. Imagine me going to Ashley tomorrow and going, Ashley, I'm so upset. I didn't want you to marry a Filipino, Nicole and I. Our plan for you was to marry a German girl. And why are you living in Brunswick? We wanted you to live in Beaumaris. And why are you working at Westpac? We wanted you to work for the Commonwealth. <laughs> what, what kind of a parent would you think I am if I treated my son like that? What parent has this detailed plan for their children's life? I know there are some. <laughs> In fact, I was talking to a primary teacher, Ken, who a mother came along with a little five-year-old and said, he's going to be a politician one day, remember that. Poor kid. We would think any parent that has this detailed plan for every aspect of their kid's life. Something's wrong with them. Well, well, as a parent, what do you want for your kids? You want them to grow up. You want them to become mature. You want them to become people of character, learn to relate to people well, discover their gifts, do something with their life. Are you following me? And God's the same way. God's the same way. And so we need to be free. And so if it comes to dinner tonight, what's God's will for dinner? <laughs> Well, what do you feel like eating? Now, now, think about what you're going to eat, you know. But what's God's will for dinner? Where, where are you going to live? What suburb are you going to live in? Well, where, where do you want to live? What can you afford? Where do you work? Uh, which house did you buy? Oh, God, where, is, it the, is it the three-bedroom? Two? Well, you know, where, where are you working? What's your budget? Uh, which job are you going to take? Which vocation are you going to follow? Well, there's a few no's. Don't be a bank robber. Don't be a terrorist. Don't be a drug dealer. How many know there's some no's? Like, don't do those things. But what are you passionate about? What are you gifted about? There's so much more freedom in the will of God than sometimes we realize. Which career to marry? Which person? Which career to take? Which person to marry? Seven billion on the, on the planet. God's got one for me. I've got to find them. The needle in the haystack. Where are they? Well, 
Who do you enjoy being with? What about compatibility? What about purpose? There's so many different things to take into view. In fact, maybe the right question is not, how can I find God's will? Maybe the right question is, how can I make wise decisions? How can I make wide decisions? And you know what? If God's got something specific for you, he's got a way of directing you. We'll be talking about that. Notice with Paul, there was a dream. And God gave him some specific direction. God can direct us very clearly, very specifically. But just like Adam and Eve, one no, lots of options. So in the majority of our life, We have the freedom to choose based on the desires of our heart and the wisdom God wants to give us. Everyone said amen. Amen. Avoid a a frustrating approach to the will of God. Let's look at a couple more. Another approach I've observed over the years is what I call a fearful approach. Some people are so worried about missing God's will and making the wrong decision that they live paralyzed by fear. Or maybe you've failed or made some mistakes in the past, and so you think you're no longer in the will of God. These are common experiences. The truth is that even a bad decision doesn't ruin God's will for your life. Yes, choices have consequences, but it doesn't mean your whole life is falling apart. Uh, all of us in this room, including myself, have made mistakes. <laughs> Anyone not made a mistake? Good. We've all made mistakes. The question is, did we, are we learning from them? We've all failed. The question is, are we failing forward? Are we repeating that failure? We all actually make some wrong turns. And... The Bible says that all things work together for good. Even our bad decisions, even our mistakes can have a benefit if we learn from them. And so the issue isn't not, have you made mistakes? Have you made wrong turns? The issue is, where are you heading today? What choices are you making today? Life is about living and learning. You might have heard the funny story about the very successful businessman and a a young adult was chatting to them and just had a couple of moments and said, what's been the key to your success? And he said very promptly, good decisions. Young person says, look, could I ask one more question? How do you make good decisions? And he said very quickly, he said, experience. And the young person said, just, excuse me, just one more question. How do you get experience? Bad decisions. <laughs> and, and that's life, isn't it? We, we, we learn, we, we, we experiment, we make choices. Some of them work, some of them don't. And so God is the God of the second chance. Amen? Not second best, second chance. Ask Jonah. He went the wrong way. (laughs) Had some consequences of going the wrong way, but he got back on track. God is the God of the second chance. Don't allow a fearful approach uh, to paralyze you as you take your journey. You can't go back and change the past. We can start afresh today to make decisions to get on track with God's will, God's God's purpose for our life. Another wrong approach. Everyone getting something out of this? Hopefully this is helping. Might save you a bit of time. Another wrong approach that I've observed over the years is something I'd call a mystical approach. Some people think that God's will is dependent on some special feeling, impression, or sensation. 
they want God's leading on everything. And so maybe you're getting ready for church tonight. It's God, is it the blue shirt or the red shirt? Blue, red, blue, red, blue, blue, red, blue. You walk in, should I turn to the, should I sit on the left side or the right side? Third seat, second seat. Now, I'm not denying that we can have mystical experiences. We'll be talking a bit about that next week. Paul had a dream. I'm not denying that these things happen, but this idea that every moment of every day, God's going to be kind of telling you left, right, this, no, blue, red, uh, again, is a, a really negative and wrong approach to the will of God. God's will is very practical, very practical. And it doesn't depend on us having a, a mystical or spiritual feeling every time we make a decision. And so these are some wrong approaches to the will of God. A fatalistic approach, a negative approach, a frustrating approach, a fearful approach, a mystical approach. And I, I, I've had to work through all of these, and maybe you resonated with a few of those myths yourself, and hopefully we were able to bust a few of those and free you to see God's word uh, and God's will from a, a bigger and a freer perspective. And so as we move on from here, I suppose the big question is, well, how do we make wise decisions? How do we make wise decisions? Good question. And I don't want you to miss next week for the next exciting episode of our two-part series on decisions and knowing the will of God. We're going to talk a little bit about that next weekend. By the way, we did not end up leaving Waverley Christian Fellowship. We decided not to go. And next week I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you the consequences of that decision. We're going to pause there, and we're going to pray. So how about we pray together this evening? We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.